several things tumbling around in my heart and my mind in this season. Um, Chuck alluded to, to some of, some of the uh, you know, letter that went out just encouraging <clears throat> our leadership team just to be aware of a ploy of the enemy to disrupt unity, to disrupt uh, the love that we have for one another. Be aware of spirits of offense that come against you. Sasha really, uh, she, she took us deep into Haggai last week. The week before that, I was looking at just the rhythm of rest as we follow, as we follow Jesus. I want to give you a, a word of encouragement this morning. Not what I had prepped. I'll, I'll punt till the, till the end of, maybe the end of July for this one. And the Lord, the, stir, the, the Spirit was stirring up this theme in worship. I could really sense through Lydia's selection of the worship set and through um, what the Lord was doing that he wanted us to kind of land on this theme. And it's this, in the middle of your battle or in the darkness of your prison, lift up a song of praise. In the middle of your battle, in the darkness of your prison, lift up a song of praise to the Lord. And I've had some conversations, you know, in talking to people about the culture of our church, I'll tell them we're a two-hour service. Sometimes that gets, raises eyebrows, like two hours, what do you do? I say, well, we'll often worship for an hour or so, and they'll look at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, well, what, what do you do? Like two songs and you're done? Like I, 30 minutes, I'm just getting, just getting my wheels greased, and I want to go farther in, but... The reason that we do that is because there is, worship is not just entertaining you until we get to this. Worship is warfare. When we come together and worship, things happen in the spiritual, and when things happen in the spiritual, they can happen in the natural as well. The Bible says that he inhabits the, he inhabits the praises of his people. That means that when we come together and corporately praise, we are doing something that ordinarily could not happen. So there's, it's, it's of utmost importance to us that we just cultivate this atmosphere of worship. And my encouragement to you, cultivate this atmosphere of worship. And my encouragement to you is do not just remain a spectator. Do not be a spectator. That doesn't mean that everybody has to look like Chuck or, you know, all of us shouting up at the front. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying that in, in, in the way that the Lord has given you, gifted you, calling you, engage in the warfare of worship because the season is coming when this is going to be the utmost of utmost value. And I want to give you a couple scriptural, scriptural examples of this. Um, but first, let me look at Galatians 6, 9. I want to read this to kind of just encourage you. It says this, um, Paul is, uh, the Apostle Paul writing to a church that he helped start. Pastor Paul is writing to a church like you and I. So we read these epistles um, when we can easily put ourselves in the context. He says in verse 7, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from this flesh will reap destruction. We get out of life what we're going to put into it. If we sow attitudes and postures of rebellion or 
or apathy or just whatever it is, we're going to sow that kind of that kind of life back. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. We, we, we want to place ourselves to say we want to, to be sowing into every day. Every day is a, fresh, is a fresh garden that's been tilled. What are we going to sow into that? Are we going to sow into things that are honoring to the Lord with our time, with our attitudes, with our choices, with our behaviors, with our money, with whatever we watch on Netflix, whatever we look at on the Internet? Are we sowing into this day things that are honoring to the Spirit? If we do that, we're going to begin to reap some of the benefits and the fruits of the Spirit are going to be manifesting in our lives. He says this, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Don't become tired in this journey that we're on. We're on a journey and we are on a, we are, we are and so many different metaphors I could use. <laughs> yeah. We, <laughs> We, we are planting something, stick with Paul's, we are planting something that's of eternal value. And many of you, you know, you've been planting dreams in the spirit and you're wanting to see those come into fruition. You've been so, you've been faithfully just waiting on the Lord for a promise to manifest. And the Lord says, if you don't give up, you're gonna win. You know, we, Meg and I, we've had this discussion where we've planted things in our little garden at home. And every, you know, I would come and look at it a week later and there's nothing there. And I'd come in two weeks later and she's like, it's nothing there. And she's like, Brad, just wait. I'm like, there's nothing happening. You know, we would do this with, um, we, would have, we used to have this, this, this uh, grapevine. It was a beautiful grapevine. It was like this big and it was full of stuff. And every year, you know, when winter would come along, spring, I would swear that this thing was dead. I'm like, Megan, this is dead. I, I over pruned it. I cut too much off. Look at it. And I would like snap parts off. She's like, Brad, leave it alone. It'll come back. No, Meg and I would come back a week later. Nothing is there. Megan, you understand? I killed this thing. She's like, don't do it. Just leave it alone. Paul says, if you don't, don't grow weary in doing what is good, because if you don't quit, you're going to win. You're going to reap a harvest of righteousness. And this is a sense that the Lord is saying that when it comes to, to faithfulness and, and, and pushing in to worship and prayer, to, to being in his presence, both individually and corporately, don't quit. Don't give up on that. Even though it's difficult, even though you're tired, even if it doesn't seem like it's making a difference. So let me give you some examples of this in Scripture. I love the stories that God gives us because they're so timeless. One of my favorite ones, Exodus chapter 17. Exodus 17 is the story of, of, of let my people go. And Moses bringing the people out of slavery in Egypt through the Red Sea, towards a promised land. What's in between is desert. This is an analogy for the spiritual life. God's brought us out, and God is calling us to this. He's freed us from slavery. He has freed us for his promises. And sometimes there's a desert in between that we got to walk through by God's grace. Who's leading us? Not the old Moses. The new Moses is leading us. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who's going to give water and manna. He is the bread of life. He is the living water. He's going to give that of himself. He's going to bring us through that process. But here's a story. In the early days of that journey, Israel has made their way out. And of course, the, the promised land is not vacant. There's no welcome sign on the door. You know, it's like they're enemies left and right. They're they are the enemies of God's people who are just waiting to pounce, waiting to, 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 to come in and crush their dreams, crush their identity, crush their promises. One of those groups is called the Amalekites. 
descendants of Amalek, and they've been in this, uh, in this wilderness just kind of doing their little nasty thing, just being punks. You know, they're just punks. And it says this in 8, 17, 8, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with a staff of God in my hands. So notice what Moses is not saying. Moses is not saying, Joshua, you and me, we're going to go into battle, get my sharpest sword, get my, my whatever, they don't have chariots, they don't have anything, get my sharpest staff, right? Get my biggest rocks, we're going to go. He's like, actually, Joshua, you're going to go, take some in with you. I've got a different place I need to be in. I'm not going to be in my tent sleeping. I'm not going to be in my tent worrying, you know. I'm just, I'm going to go to the top of this hill with the staff of God in my hand. And the staff of God is the authority of God. His role is in a, his role as a prophetic voice is in his hand. He's going to go to the top of the hill and it's going to be a place where he can see the battlefield down below. So he goes, he says, so Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered and Moses, Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. So he sends Joshua, Moses goes up, he takes his brother Aaron, he takes her with him. As long as, so and it says this, as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. So get, get a picture of this, okay? We're not sure of any conversations that happened, but it's very likely the Spirit of God told Moses to do something like this because this is very atypical, right? We don't see this really anywhere else in Scripture. But in this instance, God says, Moses, go on up, lift up your hands over the battlefield. And Moses does. And it says, as long as he held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. Y'all put your hands up just like this. How long can you hold those up? We're not going to try it. So some of us are weaker than others. I got about two minutes in me. That's about it. I get tired. I'm feeling to burn a little bit already because I'm a little weakling up here, you know, right? Some of you are like, Chad, Chad, I could do this. You could like stack some bodies up on top of and just hold it there all day long. Man, not me. I don't I doubt Moses was pumping iron, but he's holding his hands up like this. And as he holds it up, he sees that the, 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 that the, the armies of God advance as he has his arms upward in this posture of worship before the Lord. He holds them up. He holds them up like this, and he sees. And sure enough, look, I can see it. I can see Joshua taking ground. I can see it. Oh, look at that. Look. Yeah, they're routing around. Come on. God is on the move. Oh, but I feel the burn in my hands. I got to take a break. Whew. <sighs> Takes a break for a minute, drinks some water, and sure enough, he begins to see this pushback from the enemy. He sees Joshua begin to retreat step by step. He says, okay, God, I can do it again. Come on, hold my hands up. <sighs> praise you, Lord Jesus, praise you. And the battle begins to be won, and this goes on and on again. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. <laughs> He's my kind of guy. Like, I want to sit down. I'm tired. Sits on a big old stone right here, <sighs> holds up his hands watches the battle in a posture of worship. 
Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. The battle's waging hour after hour after hour. The man's tired, but the battle is only won in a posture of worship. What's beautiful is that there's no, there's no shame on Moses. There's a rock for him to sit on. There's brothers to hold his hands up. But the battle will not be won without a posture of worship for him. And so Joshua overcame the Amalite army with the sword. I, I would love for, I'd love to know how that went back when Joshua returns, right, with the sweat and the blood and the grime of battle on his face. And his hand is just clenched around the sword, you know, and he comes back and he's like, Moses, it was, we almost lost it, Moses. We, we almost, did you see it? We almost didn't make it. And Moses says, I know, I saw it too. You know, and, and maybe Joshua in his own strength kind of begins to think that he had something to do with it. Then he remembers, oh, no, no, the man of God was up there with his arms that stretched over the battle. That's Exodus 17. Go to Acts 16. In the middle of the battle, lift up a song of praise. This is Luke, or I'm sorry, Acts. What did I say to you? 16. Another man of God, actually two other men of God, Paul and Silas now. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, this is important to notice that, Paul and Silas are headed to a prayer meeting. They're going to church. They were met by a female slave who had a spirit, Greek word is puthon, python spirit, by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. Holy Spirit annoyance. That's sanctified annoyance. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before. It goes on to say, basically, they're thrown into prison. They are stripped beaten with rods, severely flogged, thrown into prison. The jailer is commanded to guard them carefully. They're put in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. A little bit of overkill. These aren't hardened criminals. They're men of God, but they're a threat to the kingdoms of darkness. So they're beaten, flogged, thrown in jail, in the inner cell, put in stocks. Boom, there you go. Lights out. Who knows how long they're going to be there? You don't get a call. You don't get a phone call. There's no lawyers here. You're there at the whim and the will of the authorities. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. What are they doing? What are they doing? Praying and singing hymns. They decided, we can't make it to the prayer meeting. We're bringing the prayer meeting to us. Think about that. In the middle of the night, midnight... We don't know when they were thrown in jail. Who, it's, there's no telling, but it likely wasn't 1130 at night. It likely was a lot earlier in the day for all this to be happening out here in broad daylight. But they're in jail. They're in jail for a significant amount of time. At the midnight hour, 
they begin to say it's time to go to battle and worship and prayer. This isn't, I, 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 don't, I don't believe this is, this isn't just passing the time, you know, they're not just killing time. Like, hey, Paul, what's your favorite song we can sing? Oh, I love, raise a hallelujah, let's do that one. No, 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 no. They understand that wherever they go, they bring the kingdom. And there's power in worship and praise and prayer. And so they begin to pray and sing hymns to God. And this is one of my favorite lines. The other prisoners were listening to them. Got a captive audience right here, man. We can preach, we can pray, we can sing, can't do a thing about it. The other prisoners are just in their cells listening. Maybe some of them are like annoyed by this, but they're just, basically we hear this, what's going on. These other prisoners, we don't know Paul and Silas, we're locked up in our cell. All of a sudden we hear these crazy dudes next door. They begin singing, lifting their voices up. They begin to pray aloud. What lunatics next door. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open. And everyone's chains came loose. Y'all, there's power in your worship. Not just for your, yourself and your immediate needs. There's breakthrough for others in your worship and in your warfare. Guess what these other prisoners did to deserve it? Not a stinking thing. That's grace right there, though. That's grace right there. It's the evidence of what the Lord wants to do. He will meet us in our places of the most significant dark prison and battles that we can be in when our, when our feet are locked up, when it seems like there's no hope, when we've been doing the right thing, we're going to prayer meeting, we're bringing the kingdom, we're loving on people, but it's not enough. We still get beaten and flogged and accused and thrown in jail, and we're sitting here in this stinking, nasty, dark, cold, rat-infested prison with our feet chained in these stupid stocks, but the Lord says, sing a praise song to me, and then I lift it up, and the walls begin to shake. Because that's the power of God whenever we come in with worship and prayer. Amen. And all of a sudden, we think the things that are bound us tight begin to fall off. And we're looking at one another, we're looking at ourselves, and all of a sudden, the wall, the doors are shaking off with their foundations and falling in, and everyone's chains fall off. Verse 27, the jailer woke up, he's sleeping on the job. Dude's asleep. I mean, it's midnight, I get it, Whatever. But apparently, he shouldn't be sleeping, and here's why. When he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. He said, crap, I fell asleep on the job. <laughs> because he thought the prisoners escaped, but Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. And that revelation of grace and kingdom power brings salvation to the jailer and his family. In the middle of your battle, in the darkness of your prison, lift up a song of praise. God promises this. You know what he says in Psalm 23? You prepare a table before me, presence of my enemies. It doesn't say you prepare a chariot with armor in the presence of my enemies. It doesn't say you prepare a getaway car in the presence of my enemies. It doesn't say that. In the midst of our battles, God says, come and be with me. 
pull up a chair. Let's have something to eat and drink. Because all of this, this is all secondary to my presence. And we even see that all through Scripture. Second Chronicles chapter 20 tells the story of Jehoshaphat whenever they're encountering God, the enemies of God's people too. They encounter God. God gives them some words. And what happens whenever they go out to battle? Who goes first? It's not the special forces. It's not the green berets. It's not the elite. It's the worshipers and the musicians who go ahead, the priests who lead the way. That's how God does it. It's an upside-down kingdom. The things that you and I think we have to face in our own wisdom, God says, no, let me, let me go ahead and solve this for you. You be in a posture of prayer, worship, thanksgiving, expectancy, and rest. Focus on rest. God says, because I can't fight the battle if you insist on doing it for yourself. Only one of us can do it. You or me, says the Lord. If you want to do it, have at it. We both can't do it. Think about King David. Young David, 14, 15 years old, hears about this threat to God's people, this champion named Goliath. He says, who's going to stand up? Who's going to go? No one's going to go. No one? None of you? You guys are all scared? I'll go. Come on. You don't understand. Listen, I, I've taken down some giants in my life. You should have seen that, that lion that I took down. Slinging a stone, he goes to the king. The king says, great, you're ready to go. Let me give you my armor. Here's the armor. of So he puts it on him. And of course, little David is just swallowed up by this. And he takes it off. He says, no, this is not for me. This is not the kind of weapons that I'm called to take up. And we, I think we insist. I know I do. I do. I think I insist on trying to fight the battles that God has for me in my own strength. And I wonder why I get tired. I'm tired because I'm carrying around this stupid armor that doesn't fit me in the first place. Instead of just resting in a posture of the Lord and just doing what he's called me to do, listening to his voice, saying yes to him, resting in him, and allowing him to go ahead and fight for us. So I want to encourage us here. You, musicians, you can, Lydia, come on up. You guys can come on up here. I want to encourage us practically in this season, this summer, as warfare is intensifying. Some of you feel it. Some of you don't feel it. Praise God for those of you that are not feeling it. It's okay. It doesn't mean something's wrong with you. It just, you know, means, you know, you just, you haven't, whatever, hasn't come your way yet. It's okay. For those of you that are feeling it, let me encourage you, don't grow weary in the fight. Moses was tired. It's okay to be tired. It's okay to lean on others. It's okay to say, y'all, hold my hands up because I just can't do it anymore. Lift it up. It's okay to slow the pace down some. But don't give up. Don't quit. Don't quit in your daily sowing into the Spirit. If it seems like this is nothing but dry to you, don't give up. Take it. Go somewhere. Open it up and say, Lord Jesus, I feel dry, but feed me from your word today. If you feel noise from the world, clutter from the world, get outside. Go and just say, Lord, Holy Spirit, just begin to let me hear your voice. Turn off the noise from other things. Get outside. Get away for a little bit. If you feel overwhelmed, irritable, fatigued, Just step back. 
The battle belongs to the Lord. It's not up to you to figure these things out. It doesn't mean he doesn't call us to take action on some things. That's not what I'm talking about. This is not a sit around and do nothing thing at all. Finally, Zephaniah chapter 3. Let's go here. Zephaniah. Boy, have we ever been to Zephaniah? Mmm. <laughs> I got to find it. What page is it on, Chuck? There we go. Zephaniah chapter 3. Chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 14. Sing, daughter Zion. Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment and has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. Spirit of God is saying this to you. Hear this. Hear this. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. <laughs> the Lord, your God, is with you. The mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you but will rejoice over you with singing. Come on, let's stand up, church. God comes to lift up our arms over the battle. I'm praying over your battles right now. Holy Spirit, I just pray victory over the situations that we're facing, both in the spiritual and the natural. I pray that you would just turn the tide on these, Lord, and bring victory and bring deliverance for God's people. Our eyes are on you, Lord. As Jehoshaphat says, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you because you know what to do. You have the perfect plan. And we just say yes to you. So, Lord, we don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what this season holds, Lord, but we know who holds it. And so we just will sow, Lord, seeds of faith and rest and worship. 
you'll bring about, Lord, the outcome. We bless your name today, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your promise here in Zephaniah, Lord. You delight in us. You're with us. You're a mighty warrior who saves. In your love, Lord, you will no longer rebuke us, but you will rejoice. You will dance over us with singing. So we just receive, your Lord, your love today, your church, your bride. We receive your love today. We bless you today, Lord God. I pray, Lord, that in our, in our battles and in our prisons, would you put a song in our heart? Surprise us, Lord. Surprise us with joy and hope. The battle belongs to you, Lord. In Jesus' name.